Hello, and welcome to the AIGA Design Podcast. My name is Lishan Huang. You may have noticed if you're a longtime listener to the podcast that we've paused on our regular release schedule, but we are still working behind the scenes on all sorts of exciting learning experiences for designers like you here at AIGA. But we're still doing some special episodes, so I wanted to talk today with our special guest, Ritish Gupta, founder of Useful School. He's actually a return guest. He spoke with our former executive director, Benny F. Johnson, last year in an episode of the podcast, and we thought we'd bring him in for an update to learn about what he's learned so far with Useful School, which is a pay-what-you-can online design school aimed at POC designers and aspiring designers. And I think it fits really well with our general summer of learning here at AIGA as well, where we have our own learning experiences available for designers in what we call design adjacent areas to really grow as professionals. But without further ado, uh, welcome, Ratish. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. You did talk about the origin story of Useful School in your previous interview, so folks can go listen to that and we'll post a link in the show notes. But can you give us a recap, a little bit of just what Useful School is? Sure. We are a virtual school that aims to help people of color thrive professionally and also personally. And I'm happy to get into details around how we're thinking about both of those things in a bit. But that's really the main goal here. Um, We started with product design classes. We started with some branding classes. But we're quickly starting to spin out a lot of other classes that are helping folks address some of the key issues that I've heard and noticed that POC are experiencing professionally, but are also experiencing personally. You set out to solve some specific problems with Useful School. And in some ways, it was like a conversation with AIGA. So you were taking a data set from a previous AIGA design survey. You were crunching the data yourself to really look at some of these issues that POC designers faced in the industry and also using your original econ major in the process. So can you help us understand a little bit about the kind of core problems that you're addressing with Useful School? Sure. There's a few and they've changed focus or rather that we've added focus over time. But the initial focus was all about helping junior level and senior level product designers be happier The one metric is helping POC junior product designers enter the design industry. And for those who are senior level product designers, helping them move up. So helping them get new jobs, whether it's at their current company or it's helping them get new jobs at a a new company or starting a freelance practice. So that's where we started. We started really focused on product design, specifically at the junior and senior level. Now what we're looking at is helping branding folks in the junior and senior levels do something similar. So helping fill roles at the junior level, but also help fill roles at the mid-weight all the way through design director levels. So that's where we're at right now. What we've noticed is a decent number of POC want to be entrepreneurs. They either are entrepreneurs already or they want to be. So expanding the curriculum to include how to start and how to execute on this freelance desire. And what we're also looking at is some of the more intangible metrics, the number of folks that are feeling happier, folks that are feeling less imposter syndrome, 
feeling more confident. And of course, there's ways to track that, but those are more of the quote unquote soft skills or the soft outcomes that we're looking at as well. What we're also thinking about, which I'm really excited about, is looking at classes that aren't just quote unquote purely professional, meaning we focused initially on product design, we focused initially on, on branding, but now we're starting to, for the first time, starting to explore classes outside of those realms, still appealing to designers, but addressing a slightly different issue. So what we've noticed is that our applicants, about a third of our applicants have wanted financial wellness classes. We've also noticed that the first week that we have focused on for the last year and a half or so has been on decolonization. And individuals are in our class are fascinated by the topic. And it's obviously really, really important and meaningful. So what we've actually started doing is actually creating an entire curriculum purely around decolonization. So in the fall, we're going to have not only advanced branding, not only junior and senior targeted focused classes for product designers, but we're also going to be having financial wellness and decolonization classes. And those are literally from application and graduation graduate feedback. Well, a lot of things I'd love to react to and follow up on, but I'll just jump in the middle of it. First of all, I just think it's awesome that you are looking at multiple metrics of graduate success and also keeping in touch with them, polling them about what are continuing needs that they have in terms of their own learning. And I think it really is a great model that complements that like traditional business school MBA kind of thing of like, what is the average salary of the graduates, right? And obviously that there's things that make sense about that when people are taking on lots of student debt to do these expensive master's programs, something that useful school graduates aren't necessarily dealing with, but maybe they do have student loans from previous experiences that they've done. But looking at that happiness and general wellness thing, I think is just really important in terms of shifting the norms in our industry. And then in terms of the financial wellness and the decolonization, I think that's great too. It sort of connects with what we call design adjacent here at AIGA, not just the name, the previous name of our podcast, but also our general strategy to learning, where we don't necessarily teach specific software like design software, whether it's from Adobe or Figma, because there's other places to learn that. But we really focus on those skills that you need to be thriving as a professional and as a person. So I guess my follow-up is on the decolonization point. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that for folks who may not be familiar with that concept? Sure. So decolonization in broad strokes is around literally decolonizing our learning and our practices. So thinking about how much white supremacy and other colonizers have affected our thought processes, how we operate, how we think, what we do, what we say, all those types of things is a really important thing to like be aware of and also like unlearn. So what we're thinking about is how might we take this decolonization concept and it apply to students of useful school who are really interested in it and they want to have a, a specific outcome and a specific output from mm -hmm. it. So what we're having students do starting in the fall is they're going to be going through a 12 week curriculum with some absolutely incredible special guests. And by the way, before I continue going, our curriculum was co-created by Annika Hansen-Azora, who's incredible and helped create the curriculum, helped invite the speakers and everything. So shout out to Annika. And what we've done is we've realized that 
after 12 weeks, we want the students and graduates to have something to show for it that they're really excited about. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to have them do is actually build a project um, and ideally launch it by the end of 12 weeks, which is like kind of a scary idea for many folks. But a lot of designers and and creators in general are, are really excited about it. I think what's important is blending the theory and the actual practice. And I think that's where like a lot of programs, unfortunately, are, are missing that link. So what we're challenging our audience and our communities to do is to think about decolonization specifically with regards to their own practice. Mm-hmm. So this is also, I should say, a class that's appealing not only to designers, but creators in general. So we're, we've had applicants who are like TikTok creators. We've had applicants who are writers. We've had applicants who are adjacent to the design world. And we're welcoming all those types of individuals. So I'm really excited about that. And they're going to literally be creating something by the end of 12 weeks that's decolonized. So we don't care if it's a zine, if it's a website, an app, or something different, as long as it has the decolonization lens throughout the entire part of it. And, And I think it's really a really clear thing to look at this project is, okay, what kind of fonts am I using? Are, am I using fonts that are by people of color? Mm-hmm. What platforms am I using? Like, am I using a platform that's decolonized? Like, can I create my own? Like, there's all these types of questions that happen in terms of our tools and the tooling and everything that we're doing. And it's also in terms of like the community that the designers are looking to to pull in and draw in from their project. And, and all of these types of questions, I've only just touch the tip of the iceberg here, is really important to thinking about how decolonization actually affects your, your practice. So I'm, I'm really excited about this class. It's generally the first of its kind um, because it's not only pay what you can, but it's taking decolonization out of the, the expensive classrooms and into hands of students that, that really need it and actually encourage them to actually create and launch the project. So the, the speakers that we're bringing in not only talk about decolonization from a, a broader strokes view, but also at each juncture, uh, we have a different person come in every class. We're teaching them specific skills, everything from Ramon Tejada from RISD. He's going to be talking about like BIPOC archives. We're going to have individuals who are talking about like how to launch and market your platform to like an audience that like you're part of, you know, all those types of things. So I'm really excited about what's going to be happening with, with the decolonization class. And similar to what we did in, in previous classes is, getting feedback from students, sponsors, speakers, like literally every step of the way to make sure we're like tweaking the curriculum and making sure it's refined and refined, refined, refined. So that way we can just like keep the amazing outcomes that we've had. There's a lot I can say about that. But first off, I love how you've reframed usefulness as also addressing some of these larger social, cultural, economic issues related to say, colonialism and, and decolonization. And that usefulness isn't just like a narrowly tactical or vocational kind of training of like, you just learn the software and that's what design is, right? Because we all know that it's also about the human aspects of it and dealing with these systems that we live in, whether it's big systems like capitalism or smaller systems, just like the interpersonal politics of whatever organization or design team that you're in. So in terms of these sort of concrete projects, is this the first time you've run this decolonization class or have you done this before? And can you tell us more about some of these projects? Yeah, this is our first time running this curriculum. 
uh, specifically regards to what I'm talking about of a full 12 week class. We've had every student up until this point, we've had nearly 100 students over the course of about a year and a half. We've had every student be exposed in some sort of way to decolonization. Typically, it's within the first week. Mm -hmm. And given the feedback that we've gotten from our guests, we've got Aziz Ali, who helped co-create and runs this. It used to be called Design to Divest, and now it's called the Oroco Cooperative. And he, Shaquille Greeley, and many others are doing incredible work with regards to these types of concepts. And every time Aziz, Shaquille, or some of the other folks um, in this community come and speak on these topics, everyone's like, this is amazing. This has blown my mind. I love it. Like, how might I bring this in my own practice? How can we like do this more? Like, I want to talk about this more, more, more. So we're, li we're literally just taking the feedback that we've gotten from students and, and expanding from there, which I think in my opinion, is probably one of the better ways to approach the release of our, our classes is taking the feedback from, from students and, and speakers specifically. I think I am particularly excited by the fact that many of our past students have applied to these upcoming classes. Mm -hmm. We've had a good number of advanced and beginner individuals from various classes uh, raise their hands and say like, yeah, I want to do this. Like I, I'm working on my own app. And I'm working on my own like TikTok profile or whatever. And I want to like really be held accountable to, you know, to creating it more, more with y'all. And I think what would be a fantastic outcome is we have these projects out in the world in some way. Of course, everyone will have a, a case study of sorts, which is incredible. And that's like one of the best ways to get hired in, in this day and age. But I think also having folks actually potentially start a company or some sort of like Instagram profile that's actually running up after the class is going to be something that I'm really excited by too. We don't know what the outcomes will be specifically on, on this class because it's kind of one of the first of its kind. So I will have more to report probably by the end of the year, early next year. Awesome. Uh, it'd be great to have you as a return guest again. I'm down. Yeah, definitely. I always have so much I could talk to you about. In terms of this co-design ethos, you know, I don't know if you've mentioned this term co-design yet, but it's definitely one of these buzzwords that we hear a lot that can be both lip service on one end, but also real on the other end in terms of how do we design with people rather than just for them. And it seems like you've been fostering this community at Useful School where there is a kind of accountability and feedback loop with the learners and the alumni as well who come back and help you develop this curriculum as it moves forward. How do you think about what that collaboration looks like. I think you've already name-checked one of your collaborators like officially on the curricula, but then there's this kind of larger network, both of students and alumni, as well as some of your, your sponsors. But how do you think about all of these different stakeholders in co-designing what Useful School is? I think one of the most powerful types of projects that I've seen out in the world have been where you are essentially creating something that you personally have experienced and felt and like have wished that you had this mm -hmm. out in the world, like even if it was a week ago or a year ago or whatever. That's kind of the way I created Useful School where I was like, okay, I'm seeing this data. I presented about it at the brand new conference. Forrest, who at the time was a chief creative officer of Wolf Allens, was like, okay, Ratish, you you should do something around this. This is this is really interesting. Come up with some sort of model. And I was like, okay, let me do it. Cause like I literally experienced that. 
I ex- literally experienced the problems that we're trying to solve through useful school myself. So I think what's interesting and kind of ironic is this idea when you create something that you've personally experienced, you kind of have this idea of co-design in your mind and co-creation and all these types of things. Mm-hmm. But because you're the, the one of the key audience members or populations that that would would use the thing or or love the thing or whatever whatever term you might want to use you just kind of do it and you don't really have like this like okay i need to reach out to 50 stakeholders i need to make sure like this is working for this person this person this person and I'm, at least i'm talking about it from like a very early stage point of view you're just like you're just doing the thing right i think as the projects go on, there are really important checkpoints that you have to think about when you're actually creating creating something and you're going to be impacting other people as well. So let me explain. When you're thinking about this idea of dignity and making sure that the population that your product or service is working for or serving you need to make sure that the product is really culturally responsive. And it, there's a really important role that dignity plays in making sure that the product is, for lack of a better term, dignified and makes the population that you're working with dignified. So there's a certain juncture, like when you're actually creating a prototype and you're getting feedback, that you're not only thinking about yourself and how, how you might feel feel that, but also how might others feel feel dignified? And one of the best ways to do that, obviously, is gaining initial feedback from, from some of your peers. But I do have mixed feelings about this term generally about co-creating, co-design, because like I said, some of the best products have been ones where like you're kind of creating something for yourself that you want to see on the world and you just hope that other people see it too. The other note I'll make is that it's also pretty likely that something that you've thought of or created has been thought about or created in the past in some shape or form. So making sure you're like constantly checking your archives and making sure that you're nodding to to the past history of the of the product that you're working with is is also incredibly important. It'll it'll ensure that you don't repeat the same mistakes. It's oftentimes really helpful to kind of stand on the kind of the the shoulders of the giants uh, that have come before us. And honestly, it's just it's just the best and most moral thing to do. Um, it, there, there has been plenty of projects out in the world that have been problematic, uh, because they act like they're the kind of the, the only one that exists and they're the first ones that have thought about this thing in the past. So I think those are my initial thoughts on like co-creation, co-design and, and all of that. Um, that's like a topic probably we could talk about for like hours and hours, but those are my, my initial thoughts. For sure. Yeah, we could do like an entire podcast series on co-design and all of that stuff. But I just wanted to underline some of those things that you said about like actually doing some sort of market research, right? What's already been out there. Maybe it's a historical view as well, which I think is another critique of some of these more vocationally focused or narrowly tactical design education programs that don't really have a sense of history. You know, it's that like design existed before Figma. And this is not to pick on Figma, but there's often like, you know, there is like the hot tool of the moment and then people kind of gravitate towards it or they give too much weight to it, but push out other things that they should also be learning as designers. I completely agree. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've heard from from various people in our community about thinking about their own design point of views 
and also thinking about like their own cultural identity and their own personal identity at large and like how that affects their work. We've heard from a variety of designers, particularly ones that are actually in our cohort right now, who are like, okay, this is my intersectionality and this is like my lived experience. And I want to help other people as a freelancer who, who share similar lived experience. So for example, there are numerous individuals who are in our curriculum right now who are like, I share this similar background with an entrepreneur and I want to only serve those entrepreneurs. So for example, we've got like a number of, of individuals like right now who are like, I am a black woman and I'm a designer and I'm going to design only for black women entrepreneurs. And like thinking about that and encouraging that to happen is a really, really important thing because oftentimes we think about we have to like fit into this, like this idea of cultural fit and fit into like this mold of like what is happening in terms of like the current design trends right now. And we refuse oftentimes to acknowledge like our own identities mm -hmm. and those identities oftentimes take a back seat in everything from our work to our biographies and our about me's about ourselves, like the fonts that we use, all of that. So literally the first week of nearly every class, we have a class on, of course, decolonization, but specifically around like, how do you use decolonization to develop your own design point of view? And like one of the bits of homework is like creating a visual mood board that represents your personal and cultural identity. And that kind of forces everyone to think about where they've been, who they are right now, where they want to be, and particularly nodding to like the BIPOC archives that I was talking about earlier that I'm really excited about, um, like Ramon coming in and speaking on. Yeah, I feel like that is definitely part of decolonization too, is like recognizing that you don't just have to design for a, like a quote unquote mainstream mass audience, which is often really just kind of a another way of saying or a way of kind of hiding the fact that this is actually about like dominant groups, whether it's kind of uh, dominant ethnic groups or kind of socioeconomic classes, right, that are dictating taste um, and that design is catering to them and to really say like, okay, well, you can also be super targeted in who you're designing for and with as a designer, because those are necessary too. not everything has to be like big tech kind of design that's meant for like the masses or, or quote unquote, everyone, even if it still excludes people. Right. So you mentioned a couple of students in passing. I'd love to hear about maybe a couple more in terms of like, where are they now since they've been with you for over a year now in terms of where alumni of useful school or current students, how they've developed as designers just in the time you've spent together? Yeah, totally. I love this. Whenever I talk about useful school, I, I get so stoked about it, particularly seeing a the people in our community and the graduates and what they've done. So I'm really, I'm really, really excited about this, about this question that you had. One thing I'll mention is that a lot of our applicants, in fact, most of our applicants come from all different types of intersectionalities and all different types of disciplines. So right now we are serving 18 year olds old and up um, in the U.S. only. We have everyone from product designers, product managers. We even have a footwear designer. We have an amazing mascot designer in our, on our programs. We've got many illustrators, 3D effects people, animators, creative directors, you kind of name it. They kind of span. And we, and we don't really look at the quote unquote traditional like branding people or traditional like product design people for any of our curriculum necessarily. Like we will accept if you're showing even an ounce of creativity and everything in your application feels feels right and will be useful to you we'll try to make a spot for you. So that's something that I'm really excited about. I think the folks have, particularly in terms of the outcomes, have been, number one, 
more confidence and less imposter syndrome based on analysis of outcomes and, and what students have done and also like talking through with people anecdotally, I've noticed that without a strong focus on decolonization, confidence building, focusing on like how you can reduce this feeling of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you need all that stuff. And then everything else is kind of like dominoes. So we focus mostly first on the imposter syndrome, the confidence building, feeling comfortable with your own intersectionality and those types of things before starting to talk about portfolio crits and all of that kind of stuff. There's no point in doing a portfolio crit before those initial things have been talked about. So what we've heard from most, the vast majority, if not all folks, that they've experienced less imposter syndrome and felt more confident. So I'm stoked about that. That's really, really exciting. And that's exactly where I want to be. The other thing I've also noticed is that folks have started increasing a responsibility mm-hmm. in their current roles. So they're either running more meetings themselves, which is a huge step for a lot of junior designers, I would say. Yeah. Folks are being promoted to, to more senior level roles. Some individuals have started their own freelance contracts and or have only done freelance. Some people in their curriculum, for example, Kindle, is actually just went freelance full time. So there's been numerous numerous occasions where that's happened. I think also we've had two individuals become professors, which is like incredible. At useful school or elsewhere? Elsewhere. Yeah, elsewhere. We've actually, so I I do the lead teaching, quote unquote, like for for each of the classes. I don't, I don't name myself like a professor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to name yourself Dean of useful school, executive Dean, provost. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels, it feels yeah, dean and provost and like professor and like all that kind of stuff just feels so like passe. Like I want to come up with some sort of other other name or whatever. But actually, like all jokes aside, like we had somebody who's become a professor at UCLA and another college uh, in California. That's been awesome. Some individuals have also started their own agencies and founded their own companies. People are starting to like mentor more people now that they feel more comfortable in their own skin. So these are the types of outcomes that are exactly the outcomes that I want to see. Some of these I honestly didn't expect. I didn't expect people to become teachers themselves. I didn't I did not expect folks to necessarily start their own companies like this early on. That was obviously something I always wanted to happen, but this early on was was awesome. So I think those are like some of the outcomes that I've experienced. We've had uh, nearly 100 students go through our, our programs. We're currently in our third cohort. And our fourth cohort is going to be in the fall, September through November, and happy to talk more about that in a second. But I'm just really excited about supporting this community. We have a Slack channel right now that's specifically focused on wins, and people are posting around about their wins. And I'm just like super stoked about what's been happening. Like one individual, Flatbush Brown, that's his alias, his, his name is Sonair. And he just like did a like a 360 branding for like this super dope like pizza spot in upstate New York. Another person just like published a paper on augmented reality. Uh, their name is Zach. It's just like really cool, interesting things that have happened in addition to like all the other things I've been talking about. That is awesome. It's great where you kind of have these like maybe immediately legible success stories of like, okay, you're like moving up in a corporate hierarchy or you're starting your own uh, studio kind of thing that we might readily recognize. And then you also have these ones that surprise you too, in terms of people becoming professors or, or doing things that maybe you didn't anticipate, but that are still like what they view and what your community views as success, which is, I think, so important in terms of really embracing diversity, right? And understanding that being successful as a designer 
has like many different stories behind it and not just kind of one in terms of i don't know making partner at some big name firm or whatever that might be yeah yeah and there and there are people who are like i'm gonna do i'm gonna go up the corporate ladder i want to like like continue like getting you know decent income and building generational wealth and like that's incredible and at the same time in parallel there's also individuals who are like running their own thing they are going through all the learnings around like being a freelancer or or being some sort of running their own studio or something and i love i love to see all that i love to see all that you can justify kind of like any role that a lot of the folks have taken on in in so many different ways and so i think what i would like to see in the future is folks continue to hit all of these types of metrics and all these types of outcomes i think what would be really great is at some point i would love to see in x number of years i would love to see a decent number of these individuals as well as future students continue to start startups that's number 1 number 2 i would love to also see folks who are currently in the corporate world continue to be on pace to becoming creative directors design directors those types of levels cuz those are the levels where you can manage a lot of important outcomes and control culture how people are hired mm-hmm. all those types of things which are really really important metrics to to hit so we're just we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg here and i would i would really like to see that happen over the next few years it's going to take some time there's a lot of movement towards this and we've got a lot of momentum but yeah those are some of the other things i want to see soon we've already started to see it with with some different individuals we have somebody named victor who's like running a team and that's incredible and has like a lot of has a lot of like agency mm-hmm. um, working for his consulting firm. And that's that's incredible. And I just want to like continue seeing folks like Victor continue to thrive after graduating from useful school. Wonderful. That's the kind of long term cultural and systems change that we want to see in the world. So speaking of like the next generation or even just the next cohort, uh, I guess those are the two things I want to talk about next. The next cohort, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that if they want to get involved and uh, still apply to the program? And then you had also mentioned before we started rolling, wanting to work with younger aspiring designers as well, high school aged people. So can you tell us a little bit about both of those? Yeah, totally. So we have five more classes coming up in the fall. The application deadline is August 18th. The classes will start early September and they will go through the better part of November. And we have five classes specifically on beginner product design, advanced product design, advanced branding, decolonization, Mm -hmm. and financial wellness. We are going to be doing classes once a week, basically. So if you're part of any of these five classes, you're going to be meeting weekly in the evenings on Zoom. It's completely remote. As long as you're living within the United States, you're all good to go. And as well as you're also 18 years old and up, there's going to be a a different secret guest every single week. And the way their classes are structured is we have the first hour of each class is going to be some sort of secret guest dropping knowledge in some sort of way, maybe doing a workshop with them, what have you. And then the second hour is usually with somebody like myself who might do crits, lead mini lessons, do another presentation, time for crit, all those types of things. Now, something that's really interesting about our curriculum that people have been particularly fascinated by is on the advanced levels specifically, we actually have students teach mini lessons to each other Mm. because 
the designers have so much knowledge. They're so, so smart and have a lot of really interesting, unique experiences. So we'll have a decent portion of the curriculum where the designers themselves, the students themselves will actually prepare like a short, like five to 10 minute lesson that's like really practical and really useful that all the other designers can learn from. So for example, we have like a social media genius um, who runs social for a lot of bigger brands named Georgia, who came in and talked about like how you can do social media for your own like portfolio and how you can help grow your own social platform, given your own like experience and intersectionalities. Another person has taught a class on how to run an inclusive design critique, which honestly is a really, really difficult thing to do. Running an entirely or mostly inclusive design critique is very challenging. So was really excited to hear from Jasmine on that one. So there's like these little things that we're doing that are making huge impacts for these outcomes where we're not only having guests come in, teach some knowledge, show me how I did this so I can do it two types of things and get me inspired. But also we're building community within our classes where everyone is actually learning from each other and and supporting each other, both live in the classes and like on our Slack community. So I think those are the types of things that you can look forward to. If you're you're interested in learning more about the program, you can go to usefulschool.com and you can see all the classes there and you can also apply. If you want to get involved like on a sponsor level or partner up, maybe you're part of a company or something and you want to do some do some work together and make some impact. Happy to talk about that. There's a lot of different ways we we work with partners that are really beneficial to everybody. Um, and yeah, and if you also like want to get involved in like another way uh, besides being an applicant um, slash uh, being a partner, just let me know. Just email me, Ratisha at UsefulSchool.com and hopefully we can make something happen. We have, we are always looking for more guest speakers. We're always looking for like more help. We're always looking for more ability to sp- spread the word. Please let me know. Thank you for that call to action. And just to follow up on the, uh, maybe there's younger people listening to this or folks listening to this have like high school aged people in their lives. I know this is a kind of coming soon thing. So that there's maybe not an immediate call to action for those folks, but can you maybe give us a teaser for that? Sure. So what I would love to do, in addition to running useful school as it currently is, is I would love to, at some point, probably early next year or late next year, we'll see is to start working with people who are 17 years old and below. Mm -hmm. There are a variety of models that I'm thinking about that the useful school community has been interested in doing. Number one is doing some sort of after school programs for K through 12 students. The second thing is thinking about how might we do some sort of partnership or something with like another agency or another studio or another brand to doing like a little bit more of a longer term curriculum that's not just after school. Maybe it's just um, maybe it's like an intensive between somebody's junior and senior year or between senior year and college, you know, whatever might be, particularly to help people understand a lot of the curriculum that we're teaching, both on the design avenues, but also in the financial wellness and everything like that. Like I would love to be able to to work with younger students as well. We're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. Those are my initial ideas. And if anybody like wants to help out, set that up, let me know. There's some schools that I'm particularly fascinated by. One is called the Marcy Lab School. Mm-hmm. The Marcy Lab School, it's marcylab.org. I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but my partner had shared them with me and some other folks had have shared this with me. And it's an alternative college, basically, where like kind of a, over the course of about a year, you kind of unlock and do all the things related to uh, a career in, in tech, specifically coding and things like that. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this model. And I would love to see schools like useful school, Marcy lab school and others like work more at this level and, and younger. That's wonderful. And like, I think that's how we're going to build these pipelines, right? Is like focusing on young people as well as people over 18 or even mid-career people, which some of your classes uh, focus on and just really having this larger community and just options for people to, to learn in different ways that work for them, what their interests are, what their communities are and what their finances allow for. So Ritesh, keep up the amazing work and thank you for giving us this update, coming back to visit us. We'd love to have you again and see where things go with useful school. Yeah, happy to happy to come back. I'm stoked. I have to get better about this, but I try to post on social media like LinkedIn or Instagram every now and again whenever I have some literally useful news to share. So yeah, feel free to to hit me up on LinkedIn or follow us usefulschool.com on Instagram and hopefully you can hear the latest news. Awesome. Thanks again everyone. Have a wonderful summer of learning. This is Lee Sean. See you next time.